Hello and welcome to episode 254 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the guitarist from one of my favourite bands of all time, Hell is for Heroes. Yes, on today's episode, I'm joined by Will McGonagall. Now for me, this band for over 20 years has blown my mind. I remember being only just over 20 years old at university and seeing Headers for Heroes live and then becoming absolutely obsessed. I say it on today's interview and I truly mean it. I think their debut album, The Neon Handshake, is probably one of the best debut albums of all time. Every single song on there is incredible and they're just an amazing live band. I've missed them, they've been gone a while, but as you're listening to this, they've just come back off tour, supporting the amazing 100 Reasons, and I've seen the reviews, and everyone is saying that they were absolutely unbelievable each and every night on that tour. So that interview with Will will be coming up in just a couple of moments' time. As you know on Mark and Me, I always like to use the intro to talk about my last previous episode, on episode 253, I was joined by Colin from 100 Reasons. This followed on from Larry's episode only on 252 and it was amazing. I got to sit down and talk again with a band that I've loved for over 20 years. Colin was so good and a massive thank you to everyone that tuned in and listened to that. But today it's all about the magnificent Hell is for Heroes, a band that really have shaped all the bands that I listen to today. Just unbelievable. But before we get to that interview, what I just want to quickly say is a massive thank you to Richer Sounds. Last week, I signed a sponsorship deal with these guys who are going to help this podcast take me to the next level. It's because of Richer Sounds and their generous, incredible endorsement and sponsorship that this podcast will be launching a video channel soon, some streaming, video interviews and so much more. So a massive thank you to everyone at Richer Sounds for supporting the podcast. And if you're in the need right now for a new TV or a hi-fi or a stereo, please go and check them out on richersounds.com. They are the reason that this podcast now can go even further. So thanks again. So now all that's left to do is to get to the interview with me and Will from Headers for Heroes. So here's me and Will talking all things music. So, Will, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. Will, I've known you quite a while. I've seen you at various gigs, festivals, and just before we started recording today, 20 years ago, I was seeing you play at my university, and <laughs> you were the very first person I ever interviewed when I started to get into the world of podcasting or journalism, which is mind-blowing. Wow, I gave you the bug, right? You're the reason. So everyone that <laughs> listens is because of you. You wanted me to carry on and carry on doing interviews like you. You're welcome, everyone. <clears throat> so I, I owe it all to you. But uh, genuinely, uh, 20 years ago, which blows my mind, I feel really old now, you started out with Headers for Heroes. And did you ever expect, seriously, the band to blow up the way it did? We had no expectations at all, really. No. Like, you know, we, uh, we were doing it for fun. And it was fun, 
Uh, and then I think people just kind of came along for the ride with us. You know, that just seemed to be the vibe. So there was a bit of interest whenever we started. Um, and I guess we had a couple of connections into the music industry because of um, Joe and me being in symposium yep. in the past as well. It kind of helped. So people were like willing to listen to what we were doing. But then whenever they met us, you know, we were just having a good time and we'd have a good time either in the rehearsal room or at a gig or kind of going to the pub afterwards kind of thing. And it just felt like we made quite a lot of friends really quickly as a band. And um, there's just a lot of support for us. So it, that's kind of how, how things kind of happened quite quickly for us, I think. So, so taking it back before that, you mentioned Symposium. Now, I don't think Symposium and Headers for Heroes sound alike. They're quite different. Obviously, for me, Headers for Heroes are a lot heavier. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot more riffs. But take it back earlier to that. So talk to me about when you were younger. What were those kind of bands that you checked out maybe in your teenage years that made you want to pick up a guitar? Yeah. Um, I suppose, like, really kind of got into music whenever mtv was playing kind of music videos when they used really. to actually play music yeah yeah yeah. it was stuff like that so before then kind of get hand-me-downs from my sister which was stuff like u2 and then maybe a bit of like uk indie stuff like obviously the cure ride wonder stuff these were things that my sister would have around the house and i kind of would just be kind of soaking it up really it wasn't really until that i saw kind of videos of things like Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins and stuff on the on the TV that I kind of really, kind of really got hooked. Yeah, and then it was just all about going to, sh- going to shows. That's kind of what really got me into wanting to play guitar. It was like just, I loved being down the front. I loved going cr- crowd surfing. I loved everything about it. And I kind of just wanted, to, I also kind of quite enjoyed being able to watch like a mosh pit. You know, if you always try to get standing tickets, but if you did get um, a balcony, I would watch the crowd as much as the band. Do you know what I mean? And that, I think that kind of just really kind of stuck with me. And then the kind of tapes showing our age mm-hmm. there, um, the tapes that would get passed around the playground were kind of the more epitaphy stuff, like, um, and also a bit of Discord stuff. So minor threat into Fugazi, but also things like no effects were kind of um, getting passed around, bad religion and things like that. So that's kind of moving on from the kind of grunge and rock that was on the TV kind of thing. That's awesome. I mean, I miss those sort of days. I miss the days of buying like Krang magazine and getting a CD on the front and then discovering 12 or 15 brand new bands. I think that's how I discovered bands like Corn and Limp Bizkit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was like a really great time for, you know, I guess whenever you're um, a little younger than than I am now, you are also, you're actively seeking it out. You know what I mean? I, I kind of, I was just, I would go to gigs even if I didn't really care who the band was. I just wanted to go to, to live shows all the time. Um, so, so can you remember those first shows that kind of shook your rib cage that made you think, fucking hell, that's one day I want to be that guy <laughs> on stage? Uh, definitely. Um, like the first gig that we ever went to, like me and my mates, um, was Rage Against the Machine at the Yulu. Fucking hell, what a start. I know, it was pretty, you know, and I think like we were like 14 or something um, and we were lucky to get in, then we were lucky to get served and then we were lucky to survive the pit kind of thing because it was just nuts, you know. They they were already too big for that venue and that venue was, I don't know, maybe 700 at the time, I think. But it felt like it was 
completely oversold. Like you couldn't even, I couldn't even stand. I was just kind of getting kind of bounced along by kind of bigger people. Do you know what I mean? But just loved it. Um, I don't know how you top that because I saw them at Reading and in London and even at a festival. There's something about Rage Against the Machine. I couldn't believe it was only one guitar. I yeah. couldn't believe like this band's only four members. I was like, where's the hidden musicians? They've got such a power. And yeah. the riffs and everything to, to start there. I don't know how you'd ever follow that up and not be like kind of let down. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely a strong start. And, you know, I still kind of really love Rage Against the Machine and still listen to, to them um, quite often, really. I think like the last 30 seconds of Bulls on Parade, where they all just lock in and Zach is just screaming it out. Fucking amazing. It's just like so tight, so heavy, but still kind of sparse as well. It was, it was wicked. Um so yeah, that was a strong start. But then I kind of saw all the kind of, I suppose, like the grunge bands that were passing through London as well. Um, and like, I think I really hooked onto the Smashing Pumpkins um, around Siamese Dream. Oh my and God, what an album. Every single song on that could be a single. It was like perfect. It was perfect. And it was kind of one of those things where I could just try and work it out on mm. a guitar in my bedroom, playing along to the record you know kind of just making shapes with your hands and it kind of vaguely sounding the same and you know you're dedicated enough to kind of continue trying at that age um yeah and then we'd go into like little rehearsal room in a youth club with um the boys um four of four of which went on to be in symposium and then um Wojtek joined us a little later but we'd be kind of just playing our favorite tunes do you know what I mean so there, there would be all those pumpkins tunes They'd be like Pennywise and like whatever little bits of bad religion or no effects we could play. Um, yeah, it's wicked. That's the best way to learn, isn't it? Being a band, play lots of your favourite covers and just not give a toss. Just just enjoy it. That was exactly it. Yeah, like that. Um, back then, like we, yeah, we were in a youth club. It was twenty p a week to twenty p a week to go in. Yeah, fucking and, hell. <clears throat> so we kind of play football or just like just kind of hang out, and then we kind of lock ourselves in the back room because they had like some like crappy amps and they had that drum kit but they also had like springboards and crash mats <laughs> so we just set those up the perfect combo just taking like running jumps with a guitar over our shoulder or whatever you know um that's kind of that was more than the songs back then it was just about like uh, imagine if you could do that for real amazing and you mentioned symposium now obviously that's when you and joe were working together when symposium decided to call it a day did you initially have that chat quite early with Joe saying, I want to still work with you. You know, we've got a good sort of rhythm section going. We've got a good unit. We've got some good friendship. We've got the chemistry. We don't want to lose this. Or was it a case of taking some time out and then kind of working with other bands and musicians or how did it kind of transform? No, no. I mean, it wasn't even a conversation with Joe. Like he's, you know, one of the, one of the best friends that I have in my whole life. Um, and we didn't really have to say anything. We knew we, we we enjoyed playing with each other. Um, but at our school, there seemed to be three or four bands that kind of were always playing and always kind of rotating members as well. Um, so loads of our best friends were in other bands um, at school. And I suppose, um, yeah, like a couple of the other guys from school kind of came into Hell is for Heroes pretty quickly. We were just kind of like hammering out a few riffs, like on a Saturday afternoon for fun. And then we'd kind of go to the pub like in the evening and just kind of say that was pretty cool it'd be great to have a singer one day see whether we can make some songs out of these um yeah and then that that's kind of how, how that kind of all came about it felt really quite organic so did you audition to try and get justin in or was he a friend of a friend or how did it come about that he joined 
he was a friend of a friend. Um, and the, I suppose his audition was we met up for a beer. Um, like we'd we'd heard his we'd heard other bands that he played in as well. Um, but we met up with a beer for a beer and we just really got on um and we stayed out all night in Camden. Uh and the chemistry then, was there straight away. It, you it was just... then, yeah. We kind of went to an indie club, you know, <laughs> to kind of like round off an evening, and he was like just kind of about to jump off the balcony or something. He's like, Yeah, this dude's wicked. Um yeah. And then, there's something that was about it. him when I when I first saw you guys playing, it might have been with hundred reasons or with biffy claro back you know 20 years ago and i remember just how small he looked on stage and i was like oh right, okay <laughs> but he just was so energetic and throwing him stuff around and he reminded me of refused you know i'm sure he's influenced by him but on this mm-hmm. drum kit and flicking himself up and balancing on the crowd and i couldn't believe that someone so small was making such a presence and capturing everyone's kind of interest the moment you kind of got into the venue yeah i i find him completely captivating um you know like whenever we would play festivals we would sometimes be on really kind of eclectic kind of lineups and I think like we we kind of played shows um like festivals abroad where like James Brown would be playing or whatever and I kind of got got like a similar vibe just where you just couldn't really take your eyes off what he was going to do next and that's kind of how I feel about about Justin a bit just like you know he's kind of a presence that you don't quite know what he's going to do next but at the same time he's still able to kind of sing the songs really fucking well um so yeah wicked so then going in you were writing these songs justin had joined it was all working together you were probably just enjoying it not worrying about trying to get a big deal or go out there and be the next big thing you were just enjoying it but before you knew it you were recording was it in sweden with the producers from refused yeah would you know we uh we recorded that first album in los angeles Wow. Um, at Sound City, um, you know, the place where they the made a famous, film. Yeah, about. for the yeah. fighters and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we spent like six months in there, I think. Um, and we, yeah, it was awesome. So there was like a little rehearsal room across the parking lot. And we just rehearsed really solidly in there for like six weeks. And the two Swedish guys who produced our record were there with us. And they'd kind of come in we'd kind of play around with the structures of what we'd uh, of what we had written we would kind of just continually demo it while we were in there listen back to it just keeping on like locking in on the click and then just taking it away and seeing whether we could still kind of groove without the click and you know we were very excited so we would always kind of speed up initially so it was just like turning into a super tight band it was like the first six weeks of it and then we went into the studio and just we were had absolute tunnel vision with it all. We kind of um, we were so focused. We kind of knew exactly what we wanted to get out of it, and uh, uh, yeah, and then we did. We got exactly the record that we wanted from it. It was. It uh, really is for me. It's hard because I wish I was talking about you to someone instead of talking directly to you. <laughs> but it's the most perfect debut album. Every single song is incredible. I think for me, the guitar tones and everything, it just sounded huge. Like, you know, if you think of Night Vision and you think of Five Kids Going, everything, it just has that oomph that when I went to then see you live, it wasn't lost. You were still the band that I listened to. So some albums I buy, they're so overproduced and they sound so polished that when I go see the band, fair play to them, there's no chance they could ever sound that good because it was done with 12 overtakes of the guitar. But you just yeah. sounded like the band I listened to on the CD on the way there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of true. It does still feel pretty raw, but big. It's kind of, 
it was just exactly what we wanted it to be like we had kind of we had recorded tunes with other producers um and some of them were too raw some of them were too polished um and all the while we were kind of saying because we'd signed to emi it was like a pretty big deal to be on a major label back then um and for a band like us but all the all the while we were saying we would just love to try and work with these two guys um Pelé and Eskil uh and they were like yeah this out you know we obviously used um Shape of Punk to Come was like a reference to how you know a, a great sounding record I reference that every day for everything yeah, it still sounds fucking awesome um and like everyone could be like everyone was like yeah totally get it you know it felt like we were t- we were turning people on to refused a little bit they were hearing it for the first time but it was like this is kind of got everything it's got like a kind of realistic kind of drum sound but it still sounds lively you can hear every part of the kit the guitars don't make way for it that everything is super loud and in your face but still kind of crisp um and then like i think even other producers that we kind of referenced it to would try and emulate what we were trying to do and it was just like when are we going to stop doing this why can't we speak to these guys and kind of just go Go and go and do it with them, and then uh, yeah. After a little while, EMI, who kind of were super supportive the whole way, they were like, "Oh yeah, good idea," <laughs> and they kind of they hooked it up. We went to LA for like six or seven months uh, with those guys, and kind of all had the time of our lives. Really, did you feel the pressure because it was quite publicly known that it was a huge deal, and there wasn't many bands, you know, looking at that time. Hundred Reasons, Cave In, Biffy Clyro, they weren't all signing to big majors. And the fact that you came along and were like, boom, you know, massive deal. I'm sure there's a lot of money being spent, especially if you're going all the way over to America and we're going, Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you kind of take a step back at any point and think, fucking hell, like this is not what happens to all these bands around us that we've been playing with? There's a lot of pressure here. Or were you just thinking, fuck it, let's just have the time of our lives? Yeah, the second one. Good. <laughs> really. Like, you know. Like realistically, it must have cost so much money. Like even just before you even think of the studio, just to fly us over there and yeah. then to kind of like first have a place to stay all that time. Do you know what I mean? Cost loads of money. And like, I think in our hearts, we were like, a band like us will never sell enough records to pay all this shit back. No. So let's just fucking go and do it and have like <laughs> the best time of six our months of our lives get dropped and like kind of look back and go, that was pretty wicked. Um, but then yeah whenever we got there we didn't muck around like we obviously had a lot of fun but we kind of we worked hard on getting the record exactly as we wanted and then you can't really have any regrets you know if you've kind of done everything you can to make the record you want to and it goes wrong cool because it went right for us in other ways you know so that's kind of that was it and then yeah it the album done all right really um it kept us on the road for ages um we played with loads of really amazing bands we kind of had a policy of just trying to play with absolutely everyone anyone who would kind of give us a show if we could make it work we did it so we ended up playing with some bands that we didn't really kind of um fit with and then but like the overwhelming majority we had like great shows you know to like new crowds a lot and then occasionally we do our own headline shows which just felt like little home runs you know they were kind of just little wins in kind of smaller places that we were normally playing, supporting other bands. So I suppose then there's that kind of horrible thing that all bands go through. You've had this incredible debut album. You've left your mark in the kind of music scene. 
everyone's got this buzz you then kind of got that pressure of how the fuck do we top this you know <laughs> when i listen to biffy clara I, I know i've mentioned him a few times today but black and sky for me was one of the best debuts ever through yeah the start to the end i just love everything about simon neal's songwriting 100 reasons ideas above our station is just mind-blowing you know i still listen to that now and it sounds like it was recorded yesterday yeah ruben race cars race car backwards it's such a tough one that all these bands then had to kind of you all came on the scene had this massive impact but then it was like how do we now take it up a notch and you know you then didn't have the support from the huge label anymore no that's right and it, it sounds like a, it's actually quite a boring story unless you kind of lived it really you know whenever people can like just move jobs in labels you know then they you know the person who kind of takes their new job then you're not really their passion you know they didn't kind of sign you they don't kind of they're not as invested in uh, your friendship and stuff like that um, and it was no it was no big deal like we had kind of I think we'd written like 25 or 30 songs and there were like some absolute bangers in there um, but it just felt like every time we would kind of bring these records to the new people at EMI they're like yeah go and write a few more and it'd be like okay and we did and we kept on doing it and then after a while it's like it's never going to be good enough um, it's you know it's not going to be what they wanted and then they started referencing other bands it was like can you just try and be a bit like that and we were like absolutely not no. um were they suggesting bands that were really poppy and they were going to like be in the charts or were they trying to just yeah i mean you know like um like i'm not kind of dissing any of the bands that they were suggesting it's just like we we are our own thing and, and we kind of didn't really feel like we sounded exactly like anyone else you know no i feel like there was like a kind of scene of bands which had very similar kind of sounds and types of riffs, um, you know, and kind of uh, influences and stuff. And I just felt like ours was a, a little more eclectic, um, pr probably more in tune with, um, you know, I feel like Biffy kind of just were able to draw things from everywhere. And that, that was kind of, um, I felt a bit more like that really. Like if you were on the bus with us, we'd be listening to loads of different types of music, but it just turned out that the most fun music to play is loud rock do you yeah. know what I mean and that's kind of how we ended up expressing ourselves um so yeah whenever they kind of said try and sound like some other bands it was like no then I think we offered to just buy some of the recordings that we'd done to take them away um and release them another way we were just kind of wanted to get on with being in a band like we hadn't played shows for quite a long time because we'd been working on the second album and it just felt we were gonna run out of steam unless we got on with the cycle um so yeah, that's what we did. We kind of bought the tune. We bought five or six recordings that we'd done. Um, we bought them off EMI and kind of went on our way and went and finished the record in Sweden um, with the same two chaps that had done our first record. And did you go, correct me if I'm wrong, did you do that all under Captains of Industry? Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, that was it. Like yeah. um, Justin and a chap called Ben Myers. Yeah, started uh, their own label. Yeah, they started their own label, yeah. Um, and they were putting out other stuff as well. Um, Justin kind of just done loads of the kind of grunt work on the business side of things. Uh, and we knew it was going to be a completely different vibe, but we also knew that if we didn't do something, we were going to just stop. Do you feel like maybe you worked harder because it was your own thing then and it was more homegrown and organic and it's actually your band members label, you know, it's like, <laughs> fuck, we're not got this million pound check to go and play fly to America. Like we've got a really kind of, earn our crust now yeah i mean there were things that definitely changed overnight 
Yeah. Like, you know, like before, hotels. <laughs> yeah. Hot- hotels for sure. Turn to bedrooms of someone that you knew. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, like before going on tour, we'd have to kind of go to like a warehouse to pick up CDs and vinyl and stuff. Just things like that were different to being on a major label where you could just kind of, well, where we didn't take CDs on the yeah. road because, you know, it had to be bought through like record stores to kind of hit charts or whatever. I don't know. Um, Cause we didn't actually follow it that closely. But yeah, there was loads of stuff that was way more real. I remember like having boxes of CDs in our houses and things like that. And every single thing, we were basically managing ourselves um, from the second album. So whenever I look back at it now, there is like a lot to be proud of doing that. Um, At the time, there were real moments where it just felt really difficult and not a great deal of fun. You know, if you're just doing a lot of the boring stuff to make a band work, don't know like some people are more into that than others and I kind of thought I might be you know I kind of I love Fugazi and I love their ethos and stuff but whenever it came to it I think I just kind of enjoyed people doing stuff for me as well but I remember like um during that tour I I can't remember the venue maybe Milton Keynes it was the chance that I saw a bit of a change that obviously you guys were more independent there wasn't like a big tour bus it was more of a van and then once the show had finished i remember i think you and tom were at the merch stand selling it yourselves and i was like Mm -hmm. okay things have really changed and now weirdly people might be listening to this and thinking well that's what all fucking bands do now because there isn't the record sales it's all streaming it's all spotify and it's about getting out there and playing shows and even big bands you go and see now are there selling their merch because they want to try and sell a few more t-shirts that night and yeah you know, i mean we, we we always did kind of head to the um to the merch stand just to try and hang out and kind of give people a chance to say hello or if they did want to get something signed and stuff yeah but yeah then like um yeah it was kind of an important part of what we were doing um like being on the road selling shirts selling cds at the venue that's kind of, that was our jobs like that was kind of what kind of paid our rent and put food on the table um whereas you know album one just felt like a bit of a laugh and a blag and it was just like what you know so i suppose you could think well actually we are taking it quite seriously because we do want it to work um we you know under any circumstances we just really loved being in this band um yeah so we they, they were all kind of changes that we kind of that we threw ourselves into really and you were just saying then when i spoke to you that as good as it was and great as it was being in the band sometimes you didn't want to always have to get your hands dirty and do all this and do all that because it's a big contrast from going from you know traveling the world with a big label to doing it yourselves do you believe at that point there's maybe slight cracks starting to form because just I don't know perhaps the shine was just slightly taken off it yeah I mean I don't think any of that stuff kind of contributed to the cracks you know we were all going through the same stuff and we all had very similar sense of humor about things like that um and to be fair like we were never you know we were never like massive on EMI we just kind of took advantage of if somebody kind of said do you want to go to Los Angeles to do a video or do you want to go to an industrial estate in Park Royal it was a no brainer. <laughs> do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of what was, what the big difference was, but you know, the way we kind of approached making records and playing shows were, they were actually quite, quite similar. Um, I suppose, you know, we were starting to pull in different directions and uh, for a while and making um, 
just trying to make a record that you want to make, but you are aware that somebody else is, you know, wants wants something else from it and stuff like that. Those were the kind of biggest strains on our, you know, on the band. It was kind of, yeah. it, was, it was musical rather than like anything to do with like the shows or our standard of living or anything like that. It was, it was always kind of musical. Um, and it, it kind of did kind of have moments where it was, where we were pretty mean to each other. Um, and then whenever we started looking towards the third album, we'd all, I'm not sure whether we even spoke about it, but it seemed like we all came to a decision that we were just going to do it for fun again. Like it's, you know, and I think we pretty quickly decided that we weren't really going to tour, like do a lot of touring for it. We'll kind of put the album out. We'll do like a tour, say that's it for ages. Um, And then there's just no pressure. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're not we're not looking at each other thinking we've got to make this work and we've got to bring in a certain amount of money or you know we've got to do do all the kind of boring stuff it's just like let's go and make one last record that we really love and then a bunch of shows and then we'll just kind of hang out um yeah and that then that it all just got a lot easier again once we kind of took that pressure off ourselves of it of it having to be like a band that kind of was also a, a career kind of thing and, and how did it feel for you? Because you took a lot more pressure knowing that you'd be producing some of it and getting your hands dirty in engineering parts, didn't you? You were involved in all the mixing and recording. and Yeah, I mean, I was kind of interested in it, to be honest. Um, I would have loved to have done it with uh, the same two guys, Pele and Eskil. Imagine that. Um, but, you know, just even at that point, whenever you're doing it yourself, like just kind of getting two guys over from Sweden, to kind of work you know it's quite difficult on certain budgets and they um they had families and things like that so yeah it was I kind of started kind of setting up recording stuff in our rehearsal rooms so we were demoing stuff quite extensively and it was all kind of sounding and it just felt really comfortable was the main thing like we were all kind of completely comfortable um work it just felt like a quite a private thing where we could just we, you know, we weren't sharing it with anyone else. Um, so in the end, yeah, um, Pele, one of the, Pele Henriksen ended up mastering it, uh, which was cool. And he brought a lot to it uh, through the mastering process as well. But yeah, super proud of quite a lot of it. I was going to say the word should be proud because it sounds fucking awesome, dude. It's not this massive drop from your debut. And I don't know. I like the rawness. I like the, I love Thrice, yeah. one of my favorite bands ever. And they do it all themselves now because, yeah. you know, it's about being in the studio and not paying someone loads of money and just throwing stuff into the mix and just doing what they want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we definitely wanted it to just to feel kind of warm and kind of live and, and a bit raw. And, you know, like there's things like I still quite like the drum sound and stuff on it. Like Joe's an amazing drummer. And I think it's difficult to make, it would be difficult to make him sound bad. Do you know what I mean? But I still like some of the sounds and like there's, um, yeah, there's, there's songs in there which I think are some of our best as well. Like I'm kind of do like that third album. It's great. It's the whole three are brilliant. But I suppose then there's that thing of you never did like this big announcement like goodbye, we're breaking up officially. There was never this big statement, and it's long more of just like a fading out, and you just kind of like went on this hiatus. But it didn't seem that long until then. I was seeing you again on the anniversary tour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reasons, um, and I saw you at Download um, about three or four years ago, maybe longer now. It might be like yeah, five yeah, years yeah. ago. Yeah, that's it right. didn't. It didn't seem that you went away for that long. I know it was a long time, but it didn't yeah. seem it. Yeah. So we seem to have come back 
like I think we, I'm not sure. I think we probably finished being a full time band in like 2007 or 2008, um, and then we came back and done those three shows with Hundred Reasons in 2012. Um, we done a couple of little warm ups as well, and they felt wicked. Like, and it did feel like no time was passed. And in fact, we I thought we sounded better than we did on the the tour before. Yeah, I, um, I I was there and I saw you guys in London and I um I truly felt it was like the best time I'd ever seen you. You were all really hungry for it. Like it didn't feel like you'd been away, but when I saw you at the tail end of the time that you announced you were going, I might be wrong, but I just felt there was this bit of tension on stage and with Finn and stuff. It didn't look like you were all having the best time of your life. It just seemed <laughs> like you just didn't seem like you were having the best time. I'm just being honest as a yeah, as a fan. You- yeah, I was stood in the crowd. I just didn't feel it. I was like, "Oh, it doesn't seem like they're all loving this." And then you came back, and it was like, "Ah, oh, there they are again!" Like, yeah, yeah, all that it, bullshit's but... gone, and they're now happy. Yeah, like just doing those three gigs, you know, with our friends in Hundred Reasons as well. It's just like, it's just we knew they were going to be great shows, um, and so we just we we rehearsed a lot to make sure that we were sharp. Um, and we kind of thought about everything that was going to happen. You know, I know we were only the support band, but we kind of, uh, you know, we wanted the stage to kind of look a certain way for us. We wanted to present ourselves. You know, we just put more thought into it than we had done uh, kind of ever, I think. Um, so, yeah, those those shows were great. And then we forgot about it again. I think, like, my, <laughs> my guitars kind of sat in Finn's shed until, like, 2018, whenever we done our own tour yeah yeah um and again we just rehearsed a lot we wanted to be better than the last time and you were i saw you at nottingham i think rock city and you were like okay it's better than when you first started out yeah i was really hungry for it then it it really felt good yeah man it felt good and like some of those shows are like the best shows we we ever played undoubtedly um but what was quite funny is like Loads of those shows were like the biggest shows we ever played as well. Um, so like first time round, we weren't doing two nights at Shepherd's Bush Empire. Um, so it was just a bit funny. It's like surreal, the, isn't it? Really, think... like the less we do, the more people can t- tolerate us or something. Um, it's a weird dynamic, but it works. It did, yeah, it did work. Um, but again, yeah, we put a lot, of, a lot of thought into it just to try and get it right and present. You know, because we'd left such a good. A uh, good flavor after those last hundred reason shows. It t- it takes a lot to kind of say, yeah, we'll do something else. We'll kind of potentially tarnish what we left behind. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And that's kind of how we feel again. Um, so we were kind of like, we were keen to make sure those gigs were good, and that's kind of how we feel about the ones coming up as well. It's got to like we can't muck up the good thing that we left behind. So we've no. got to keep we've got to keep on being good. <laughs> The download festival I felt was great. Um, like the sun was out on the second stage and it just felt like something special. It was just like a trip down memory lane. <laughs> Thank you. That show felt like really big for us, if I'm yeah. completely honest. Like we are definitely used to being an indoor kind of band. Um, you know, like I think we do rock, but it's not like a traditional rock show that, you know, where you're kind of, playing to 20 or 30,000 people it's kind of there are moments where it's quite insular or kind of you know just where we're just looking down and kind of just going for it um so like I think a month so it was an absolute kind of privilege to have that slot in the bill for sure 
Um, but then a month later, we headlined a tent at 2000 Trees, yeah. which, which is the last show we've done now, I think so far. That was like in 2018 as well. Um, and that just felt like way more like us at home kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it was a smaller tent, but the sun was kind of going down. It was, it was kind of, yeah, it was something magical about that festival. It's, I try and tell everyone I know, like everyone's like, oh, you come to download. I'm like, listen, come to 2000 Trees. Yeah. It's the greatest festival. Everyone there's lovely. It's the right size. And they still go and get bands like Fry's Turnstile, Jimmy Eat World. Yeah. But it yeah, feels yeah, like it's it... someone's garden. Yeah, we're already kind of like tapping up um, the Hundred Reasons Boys for guest list. Nice. <laughs> I think they're doing it this summer. Yeah, I've um, seen the post, and I'm waiting for you to be added. I keep thinking, come on, boys. I mean, we've we, you know the thing is, we don't really uh, we we don't go looking for stuff. Uh, you know, we don't put ourselves forward for anything. So, Hundred Reasons asked us to play these shows, so we said yeah. Um, if somebody asks us, we'll kind of give it a good consideration, but we're not going like we're not trying we're to like actively sell. rooting like hi can we come and play we're, yeah. we're not selling ourselves but yeah just don't be surprised if like larry's got like 40 guitar techs or something do you know what i mean <laughs> i love the uh, fact that you guys are playing again like and it's um there's you and who, who's the third band that's on the new oh uh, my vitriol fucking hell like yeah wow yeah like, that's cemented shoes one of my favorites ever yeah and uh to, to, to know that, that that's a proper trip down memory lane that's like wow definitely like that's a strong that's a strong bill really like my vitriol their first record is like great you know fine lines or something like that. yeah that's yeah. right amazing that's right. album yeah yeah you know so it should be good i'm looking forward to to seeing them as well it's been it's been a while since i saw them so how it's does it feel good. does it feel like we need to take it up again because you're so proud of the last one. Like you said, 2000 trees, a tent that was full download, your biggest ever stage. The tour was amazing. It's now going to be 20 years since the neon handshake. It all feels like God, like you've got to do something, haven't you to make it that extra special. Yeah. Well, the thing is like, you know, as I said, we don't really kind of go out looking for new trouble. Um, like hundred reasons had to kind of ask us to, to come out for us to kind of, oh yeah cool of course that sounds great um so i think this time what's going to be you know what we've done to kind of make it better or to feel better for ourselves is try to write a couple of tunes so we can kind of bring something different um you know like we'll only be playing for like 40 minutes i imagine um and so we're, we're already kind of thinking about how do we kind of make that 40 minutes feel like we've kind of given people everything they wanted in that 40 minutes while kind of you know without just kind of literally that's not uh, long is it because you think god i want three or four songs off the neon handshake i want three or four songs off transmit disrupt i would a couple of songs off the third album and i want the new single so i'm like oh god that's probably like an hour and a half yeah but i also want to see the headliners and i uh, yeah and you know i want to hear them play their new record and i want to hear them play their old record like 40 minutes is cool like it will be a good 40 minutes we can yeah. we can fill every second of it with uh with quality um so yeah like that but that's how we that's how we've kind of approached this one it's like we're gonna play a couple of new tunes as well because it feels like we have kind of just focused like we, we largely focused on the first album for the last couple of tours that we've done um you know hitting anniversaries and stuff so just being able to kind of play some other things i think that will kind of keep our hunger um but also um yeah just a bit of variety it's cool 
And and your single that's out now, I should never have been here. It sounds like you've never ever been away. That does to me sound <laughs> like your first album. And the moment I heard Justin's vocals on that and the guitar tone and the breakdown with just the bass and the clean guitar again, I was like, fucking hell, like they've been gone what about ten years from releasing music, new yeah, music, yeah. maybe longer. Yeah. And it does sound like you know, some bands come back and they sound like nothing that they did before yeah. and you're like oh i love this band but what the fuck are they doing like they're not the same but like papa roach or someone there's a the first band i can think of you think that's not the same band as the first album yeah you guys that could easily be the 12th track of neon handshake yeah i mean we you know we've got other things written um and we've got another track recorded actually uh and if that one came out first then maybe you would kind of think oh they've just kind of come back with something quite different just kind of, I don't know why, in my mind, I really wanted to come back with something that kind of was a 6-8 kind of tempo and just kind of got you nodding straight away and just kind of, yeah, that felt kind of, it will feel good to play live and it will feel good to bounce along to live. You know, it, it just felt like uh, the right foot forward. And did you work on that all yourself? Is that, I, I saw one of your Facebook comments, I think it was like, thank you so much Larry for helping us with this or something like oh, yeah, well, that. Yeah. Like Larry's like a, a record producer now. Yeah. A very uh, good one. Yeah. He's awesome. Uh, so he, he kind of uh, recorded our, tr the tracks um, and, you know, mm. he kind of made time like, cause we were just doing everything quite last minute. Um, it was like, it was last Christmas, but you know, we all had like a little gap in our diary. It was like, have you got any availability to kind of record us like next week? And he's like, yeah, man, just come down. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we kind of sent him the demo and then like, he just got it, you know, I didn't have to, um, like I, everyone just loved working with him, but like normally I really angst over like guitar sounds and things like that in the studio. And I spend loads of time kind of tweaking and playing with stuff. You know, I love, I love playing with amps. You yeah. Know what I mean? So you cool. mess a boogie like that, just fucking twilling with everything. And yeah, <laughs> but I didn't even touch it. Like, Larry just kind of dialed in a sound. He's like, does that, it, like in like five seconds, he's like, does that sound good? It's like, yeah, that sounds good. He's like, all right, record, bang. He's like, double track it, bang. Do you know what I mean? Like, here's another sound, do that. It's like, wicked. You know, like he just kind of got exactly what we were going for and he made it feel really easy. Um, so yeah, eternal thanks to Larry. <laughs> and did it instantly feel like when the five of you in the studio, it was all the five years original lineup. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, that's right. Did it, does it all feel pure and good again and happy and like excited you're like wow and as some of you've got kids now and full-time yeah. jobs and life's changed and some of you've got very serious jobs yeah yeah uh yeah we've all got kids and families and um uh yeah but we we still kind of meet up like a few times a year like even in like the downtime of the band but it's always really exciting to see the boys and it always ends up with us kind of staying out a bit later than we should have and things like that so just kind of a focused week in the studio with the boys. Um, it was it was wicked. It was just great to hang out with them. And it all flowed really kind of naturally. Um, there was no kind of straining. There was, we weren't kind of, we didn't have to work too hard to write the songs and we didn't have to work too hard to record them. Like it all just felt quite natural. And then we got to hang out every day, you know, outside of the recording as well. And that kind of just made us well it's, it's made us look forward to doing it again next month you know like we'll get to hang out a lot which is does it feel weird now thing. like kind of oh yeah we've got to go on tour again we've got quite a few shows we're going across the uk 
we probably need to sort babysitters. We need to sort cover yeah, yeah, work. Yeah. We need yeah. to make sure we've all got enough annual leave at the same time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I only think... I'm it's only not rock and roll, is it? It's, like definitely, this, but... it's, it's definitely not rock and roll. I mean, like, I'm sure everyone has had to kind of make plans to kind of make it happen. But we just wanted to, you know, it, it just feels like it's going to be fun. So we're all looking forward to it. Uh, we haven't really kind of... I don't think we've kind of wor- worried too much about well, I don't think we've actually booked anywhere to stay or to move kit around yet. We've just been like, oh, this is really cool, isn't it? You know? <laughs> You're going to turn up on the first day and be like, we've got no accommodation. Just like busking or something. We just couldn't get our guitars out of London. So <laughs> acoustic um, set outside. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do that to anyone. Like no. it, it is going to be rocking. But yeah, we'll have to start sorting that shit out first uh, soon. But, you know, so far we've just been focused on the set and kind of practices and stuff like that and all i keep seeing now since you launched the single which came from nowhere no one was expecting that it was like bam there you go i love that i love when bands now have the power just to drop on spotify a song overnight it's i love that element as much as i miss going to the record stores i do like the surprise element and yeah i suppose all i see now is people saying when's the album when's more music are you going to be touring on your own are you going to be bringing out a you know a headline tour I suppose at this stage there's new music being written there's new music that's going to be coming because you said you've recorded tracks i picked up on the word tracks with larry so i suppose there's new music to be heard but i suppose there's not an album anytime soon no there's not an album um so yeah we've got we've got um a little more recorded and some more stuff written uh i don't know what we'll do really like you know we don't we don't have like a plan really I think um, if we can all get our uh, get free time together, we would c- carry on writing for fun. We know that like we can go in and record with Larry because he said so. Um, you know, so we, we've got we've got a path to making new music if we want it. Um, but yeah, you've just got to really want it to do it properly. I want uh, you at two thousand trees. I'm gonna like. After this today, I'm going to speak to people because I know a few people that organise that festival. I'm going to say, <laughs> get Hell is the Heroes there because 100 Reasons, uh, you guys, that would be a brilliant weekend. Yeah, it, it, you know, it'd be fun. Um, but I'll probably be there anyways. Just uh, Exactly, you know. just drinking and yeah, out. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it's always a good festival. In fact, yeah, I went there this summer for a stag. I saw you. You were there with Larry and I, I didn't come over and say anything because there was a group of you and I thought, just let them be. You look like you're having a great time. But I was like... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone just looked like they're okay. it was the hottest day ever turnstile yeah. were about to come on and i just remember just seeing a lot of people with lots of drinks and i was like yeah this is perfect yeah yeah I, like we left london at 7 a.m that morning and there were like bottles of champagne popping by about five past seven and like you know it is yeah it was it was brutal it was a stag do it was cool it's so good man i've followed your journey now for 20 years and i explained to you at the start today that i truly mean it you're my favorite band of all time and neon handshake's my favorite album of all time and it sounds a bit fanboy saying it out loud but it's the truth and the respect i've got for you guys the fact that i can now i felt like someone maybe woken me up in 2006 the other day because it was like i'm listening to cave in I'm getting home and listening to new Headers for Heroes. I'm excited about the new Hundred Reasons album. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what fucking year is this, man? Like, it's weird. But yeah. it's also the best trip down nostalgia, like, memory lane ever. 
yeah it just it, it just feels nice it feels it com- you know like um i think all the bands that you mentioned they're probably quite comfortable in their own skin now and can just do whatever they want yeah and, it, and if they choose to do something great and if they choose to do nothing that's equally valid i, I kind of enjoy um i follow quite a few kind of just um band members accounts on instagram i'm sure as everyone else does but you know i like following bands like bad religion just like they seem to i think they're a few years older than us but they just seem to have this lovely life of having music there whenever they want it whenever they want to dip in and kind of like play shows or record um record new music they can just do it and they do it and they do it well um and that just feels like you know i'm i'm not sure we would ever be able to have as much access to kind of being able to just drop new music all the time but i really admire bands that just are still kind of doing stuff and it still sounds cool and it sounds cool because the people behind it are cool and then yeah. they're not trying to do something for the wrong reasons you know you're not in um, it for money you're not trying to become millionaires overnight by just pulling out a completely different pop sounding record that might get on radio one you're not looking to play the main stage at Reading. You've, I mean, no. You just want to fucking have fun. We're not really looking to do anything. You no. know what I mean? Like, we'll just kind of, if we can get something together for ourselves, then we know that we can we can share it with people easily these days. You know, that, yeah. is, that is an amazing thing with um, streaming. You know, we, we can kind of take people with us again. We can, people can get on the same journey as us if they if they want to. It's healthy as well. You're not going to be able to say like, see your kids, see your wife. I'll be back in six months because no, they don't want to do that. The priorities I'd, have changed. Uh, yeah, I'd never do that. Um, no. So I think these gigs with um, 100 Reasons and My Vitriol, we're doing Thursday, Friday and Saturday one week and Thursday, Friday and Saturday the following week. And that's kind of And that's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's healthy, that, man. That's how it should be. It is be. healthy. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly uh, at our age, yeah. Yeah, you're going to feel it that first night. You're like, fucking hell, 20 minutes into the set, like, we've got another 20 to go. Yeah, I mean, it's going to, I think we're going to be in good shape. We're going to, yeah, I, you know, I think it's going to sound big. Like, we've kind of got the same, uh, a lot of the same kind of team who have kind of been on the road with us all the time. Like, our sound guy is just exceptional. Like, yeah, we love him. He makes us sound exactly as we imagine we do sound, you know, so yeah we're, we're kind of up for it i think we're we're fairly confident the difference is the crowds are going to have a lot more gray hair uh and people like <laughs> me are now going to be standing towards the sound desk at the back instead of being right at the you know front barrier because i'm just too old yeah i hear you <laughs> I, you know that's cool like i think it's just going to be lovely to just play music in front of people that um that were there first time around yeah, yeah that, that is nice and if there is anyone else uh seeing us for the first time that is that's the beauty of kind of being a support band and playing with with um with other bands it's very cool you know this because i found out at the start of today that you do listen to mark and me i ask this mm-hmm. question to every single person that comes on so maybe you've had a bit more time to think about it <laughs> but every guest that comes on for 246 episodes now has had this question I end the episode with a choice of music by yourself. So maybe you've given it a bit of four. I like it when people aren't ready and they're like, oh shit, I need to try and get this down from 20 songs to 10 to five to one. But yeah, what, yeah. what's your song, Will, that you want to end today's interview on that means hell of a lot to you? Cool. I would say um, uh, it's going to be ACDC. Um, yeah, I know how much you adore them. 
Yeah, I mean, my ideal band would be ACDC, but with like two Malcolms rather than a Malcolm and an Angus. Um, just that rhythm guitar kind of vibe, it, you know, uh, you know, I love that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'd say something from their first record. Uh, maybe it's a long way to the top would be the one. A it, hell of a tune. It sounds great when you've got a beer in your hand. It sounds great whenever you're a couple of beers into a good night out. It's just an absolute banger. Amazing, dude. I will not gush over you anymore because I've done too much. <laughs> but uh, it's a dream to have you on. I had Justin on. Eventually, I'll get through all five of you. But um, <laughs> I- I'm so honoured to have you on. I really mean it. And uh, you've seen my you know, catalogue of guests. Yeah. I- I'm so honoured to have you on. It means uh, uh, well, a lot to me. Honoured to, to be doing it. Thank you very much. And I will be there on February the 3rd or 4th, whatever it is, in Birmingham. I'll come along and rock the fuck out with you guys. Mate, that sounds wicked. Love it. I cannot fucking wait. (laughs) Me too. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Will from Headers for Heroes. An amazing guy. Someone that I've known now for quite a while. And as you heard, was the very first person just over 20 years ago that I ever interviewed. So, you know, that's where my career started. And on, from then, I've gone on and interviewed loads of bands, directors, film stars, actors, producers, artists. But it all started with Will. And it was so good to reconnect. I'm so grateful for his time, for coming on the podcast. And he's one of the best guitarists in the country. He's such an amazing guy. And I just absolutely adore him. So, Will, thanks so much for giving me your time. You're someone I've wanted on this podcast for a very long time. And I'm so glad it's happened. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please go and share it. It costs nothing to do and all the links are on markandme.com. On there, you can go on Facebook and then hit literally hit that share button. On Twitter, hit the retweet button. And if you're really generous, go on Instagram and post it on your stories. It gets then a whole new audience starting to see me, see the podcast, see the artwork. And before you know it, they're listening to each and every episode. And that is honestly something that money can't buy. I'm an independent podcast, I don't have loads of funding, I rely on people via Patreon to come on board, and anyone that can just hit that retweet or share button really does make a difference. And as I just mentioned, I do have a Patreon page, this is a way of me to go out there and allow me to record more interviews for you guys at home, travel the country, get some prizes together, merch, and all that sort of stuff. The podcast doesn't make any money, and it all goes right back into me going out there and recording more interviews for you guys at home. So if you can support me on Patreon, please do. You can do it from as little as a pound a month. And again, right now, I've just launched The Lost Tapes, so you're going to get an exclusive interview every month, which is free and just for you guys at home. I've actually never been busier, and as I'm sitting here right now, I have a whole list of A4 paper covered in names of people that I need to interview and edit and record and get for you guys at home. So it's only going to be a couple of days' time until a brand new episode. So until then, listen to Headers for Heroes, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon.